Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit. Bullshit is rampant. Total fucking bullshit. Bullshit. This makes no fucking sense. It's just bullshit. Fuck. Bullshit is bullshit. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell. Boom! Welcome back to the Bullshit Filter War on Drugs, episode 3.14. How you doing, Raimondo, my little flower? <laughs> I'm blossoming. How are you? Um, good, baby. Um, last week we uh, talked about uh, um, the fucking uh, marijuana tax act of 1937. Basically, Harry said, "Look, let's just uh, put a, a minimal tax on the uh, manufacture, the, the the prescribing, the selling of marijuana. Yeah. Charge massive fines and, and give out prison sentences for people who don't have a tax." Uh, stamp, right. but then also make sure that for doctors to prescribe it, we need to make them jump through all sorts of hurdles and, and, and uh, statements that they have to make and tell us everything about their patients, which you would think would be against uh, sort of patient privacy, but uh, hey, it's the government. Right. And then we also talked about how um, a couple of guys got arrested, the first guys to get arrested for marijuana in the United States, and then uh, Fiorello LaGuardia, mayor of New York, got the New York uh, Medical Association to spend five years doing a research on the marijuana problem in New York, and they went, you know what? Not a big deal. Don't worry about it. And uh, Harry's full of shit. I wanted to... And then... Yeah. I just wanted to add on to that real quick. I'm sorry, dude. I apologize. There's some overlap. So um, not only does um, the LaGuardia Commission call... uh, no, No, sorry. Not only does Harry Anslinger call the LaGuardia Commission unscientific, he says that no one else should conduct any more experiments or studies on marijuana without his personal permission. So again, he's got Hollywood stamped down. He's got the doctors broken. He's got uh, sellers and and users afraid of him. And now he's trying to tell tell governors or mayors of major cities, don't do anything when it comes to marijuana without checking with me first. This guy is trying to control the universe. universe. Yeah, he's he's basically Thanos, uh, Harry Anslinger. <laughs> he's got his glove. He's got two or three jewels. He just needs a couple more. Mm. Did you see that movie yet? Yeah. We talked about Have it. Have we talked about it? We did. That was me. Fuck. Uh, you need a cigar. Um, yeah, tell me about it. Now, um, after World War II, uh-huh. um, Harry, Harry had a problem. Um, you know, he's got his Marijuana Tax Act passed, he's arresting people, he's shut down all those different interests that you mentioned. Um, got the politicians in his pocket, got the media in his pocket, got the doctors whipped in the line, Hollywood's terrified. Yeah. Yet uh, people are still using drugs. <gasps> can't understand it. No. Can't, what the- can't, can't figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> You should light up a joint, sit back, and think about it. But no, it's what the hell is going on? Haven't I told everybody this is like the equivalent of death and or murder and, and insanity? Why are people still lighting up? Mm. Well, 
he came to the only logical conclusion. Right. Ray, when 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 things aren't going to plan mm-hmm. in America. Um, like, for example, let's say you've got a presidential election and you've got a woman right. that you're absolutely convinced is going to get elected president because it's her time, Ray. Right. It's her time. Right. I'm not thinking of anyone in particular here. And her experience. But it's just her time. Yeah, yeah. Her time has it's come. Her ti- it's, just, yeah. it's her time. Right. She, she deserves this. And... Wouldn't it be great if we had if we we had a black guy? Now we want a woman. Yeah. Okay. She's a white woman, still rich white woman, privileged white woman, but she's still a white woman. Yeah. Uh, and then it doesn't go to plan. The only logical conclusion is the Russians did it. <laughs> That's the only. That's the first thing I thought. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, you know, I tried to lose weight recently because I was starting to, you know, shoot my film. Right. And I wanted to, I wanted to lose, you know, ten yeah. kilos, so yeah. I d- didn't look like a big fat cunt on on <laughs> camera. Um, and it didn't work. That's I, I in fact put on, I put on weight. I didn't oh, lose the weight. And that's not your. You know, fault. I, I I went to see my doctor. And I said, Doctor, I'm putting on weight. And he said, Yeah, I know what it is. I said, What well, he said, Russians. It's the Russians. <laughs> Fucking communists. Fuck, it's the commies. <laughs> it's the Call problem. bingo it's bastards. The Ru- it's the Russians, right? So Harry, uh, of course, being very, very, very smart fellow, right. came to the conclusion it must, must be the commies. Yeah. Which is why Americans were using drugs. There's a red under the bed <laughs> and he's selling you weed, basically. Um <laughs> Now, his theory was that the communists were trying to turn America into a land of drug addicts who could be used as a fifth column. They would would commit acts of treason in return for the next hit. That was his big big insight. Um, And particularly, not the Russians in this case, the chinkies. Oh, (laughs) The chinky the commies. Chinese, the gotcha. chinky commies, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. He, he also said that uh, his quote, one of his many, many quotes, and you can find them all online, he says, marijuana leads to pacifism and communist brainwashing. So, yeah, so the Chinese are doing this. They're selling drugs to everybody. They're laying the, <laughs> the groundwork for either a takeover or an invasion or whatever, but we can't let these commie pinko bastards win with their little pot plants. Wait, 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 wait. It leads to pacifism yeah. and violence and murder. So when you smoke weed, <laughs> you become a pacifist, rapey, violent would murderer. You, would, you like, his, would you like me to act theory. it out? I can act it out for you. Hold on. Yeah. Hey, you. Come here. I want to kill you. No, I can't be bothered. <laughs> That's pretty much how that. Yeah, how can you be pacifist and right. violently dangerous at the same time? But yeah, doesn't have to make sense. Doesn't have to make sense if you believe That's it. That's right. It's not a lie if you believe it. George Costanza. George. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I read an article from 1954 in doing my research where Harry was blaming a guy called Judah Ezra for importing heroin from China Mm -hmm. into America. Now, I dug into this Judah Ezra guy to see if Harry was just making it up. Turns out he wasn't just making it up. He was a real guy. Um, And the Ezra family is actually really interesting. Now, Judah's older brother, 
Edward Isaac Ezra right. was a wealthy Jewish businessman uh, who was at one time one of the wealthiest foreigners in Shanghai. And he was the first member of the Shanghai Municipal Council actually born in China. So he's a, he's a Jew right. with British citizenship because the Brits at this time controlled Shanghai and, and controlled China most, you know, uh, uh, indirectly. We talked about that, the fucking opium wars, et cetera, et cetera, at the beginning of the series. Um, so the, the Ezra brothers were born in China, um, but they're, you know, J- white Jewish Jews with Jewish Jews, white Jewish <laughs> Jews with British citizenship. Right, right. Um, I was trying to figure out if I should put a British for Jewish first, but anyway, yeah, British Jews, but born in China. Chinese British Jews. Wow. Wow. Anyway, um, now the Shanghai Municipal Council uh, uh, was a group of Western businessmen who basically ran Shanghai. Mm -hmm. They ran all of the business in Shanghai. They were mostly British. Now, uh, yeah, they controlled all of the, the, the water and the electricity and, and the transport and construction and infrastructure. And Something's never changed. Hotels and restaurants and real estate and the whole deal. Yeah. Uh, now, according to one report I read, the elder brother, Edward, ha- amassed a, a, a huge fortune that was estimated somewhere like 20 to $30 million um, in, in the early part of the 20th century. Um, he owned hotels, an insurance company, car dealerships, a gas company, newspapers, and a shit ton of real estate. And he made his money from opium. Wow. And real estate. But, you know, he got the money for the real estate from opium. So they were, they were Jewish opium traders. And again, keeping in mind that this is before the Opium Convention, and this is where this is why the the Opium Wars happened. Britain wanted to sell opium uh, from from their poppy plantations in India to the Chinese. Um, now, when uh, the elder Ezra brother died in 1921, his younger brothers, the twins Judah and Isaac. Mm-hmm. Both moved to San Francisco, where they were some of the first people to import narcotics from Asia into the United States. They had relationships with Lucky Luciano, the father of modern organized crime in the United States. Uh, guys like Frank Costello, one of Luciano's um, uh, associates, and Maya Lansky. And we're going to talk more about these guys in upcoming episodes. Um, they also had a relationship apparently with Chiang Kai-shek and the Kuomintang. Wow. Who were running China at the time. Um, and they were relying on opium profits to help fund all the work that they were doing. They weren't, when I say they were running China, they were trying to run China, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um now, in 1933, the, the brothers were arrested in California, sentenced to 12 years for trafficking, uh, were released after 12 years, so 1945, end of World War II, deported back to China, where they got back into the drug business. So when Harry is blaming Chinese communists for the heroin trade into America, yeah. he's actually talking about a couple of British Jews. <laughs> but... right. 
It's not, it's, it's, you know, it's uh, 1945, 1947, 1950. It's not cool to blame Jews for shit in the late 40s. If they'd said, so, uh, Harry, who's responsible for all the heroin and cocaine coming in here? He goes, oh, some Jews, a couple of Jews. (laughs) No. Some Jews. Not, uh, not going to fly, quite frankly. The J... Um... Chinese. <laughs> yeah, the J- it was the J- <laughs> Chinese. That's when why Trump always calls it China. China. You saying Jew China? He's a Jew. Yeah, Jew <laughs> Jew China. China. You heard it here vagina. first. China. You heard it here first. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of Lucky Luciano, um, you know who Lucky Luciano is, right? Um, Mobster, yeah, etc. Yeah. Uh, have you ever heard about the role he played in World War Two? I don't think so. Um, well, first of all, before I get to that, Lucky Luciano came up uh, through Arnold Rothstein. He was Arnold, Arnold Rothstein's ah, lieutenant, and right. we're going to get back to talking about Arnold Rothstein in our next episode. Mentioned him a couple of episodes ago. Um, we're going to talk about him. Uh, uh, very, very big figure in um, the drug trade in America. But anyway, uh, uh, after he was gone, Lucky ended up as sort of uh, the main mobster in the United States. Now, in the 40s, he's in jail on prostitution charges. Now, this actually goes back to Thomas Dewey, who I think was like the Attorney General of New York, and LaGuardia. Mm -hmm. One of the other things that LaGuardia did was cracked down on the mob and he working with Thomas Dewey, who I think then became governor and, and maybe was a presidential candidate. Um, they, they put Luciano in jail. They got him on prostitution charges. So in the forties, he's in jail. He got sentenced to 50 years. Mm, damn. Well, it was thir- 30 to 50. Yeah. Yeah. His sentence was 30 to 50 years. Um, so he's been in jail for uh, less than 10 of that, I think, uh, in the 40s. And the U.S. Office of Naval Intelligence approach him because they're worried about German and Italian spies getting into the U.S. via the New York waterfront, mm-hmm. which the mob controlled. And Luciano continued to control it even from prison. <clears throat> Uh, Frank Costello, who was his number two guy, would just come and he'd, you know, tell him what to do and he'd go and do it and that kind of stuff. Until Costello had to get out of Dodge for a while too. But um, So the, the, UF, uh, the, the Naval Intelligence guys come to Luciano and they go, listen, <clears throat> we know you run the waterfront. We need your help. Help us and we'll commute your 50-year sentence. Wow. So... The U.S. Office of Naval Intelligence is doing a deal with the guy who basically invented uh, the mafia in the United <laughs> States and in the way that we think of it. You know, he created the commission and all that kind of stuff. Right. So um, he goes, yeah, sure, I'll help. So he said, look, here's what I'll do. Um, you know, I'll have all my guys. Uh, uh, I think Anastasia was his guy that was running the waterfront at the time. Um, I'll, have, I'll have Anastasia make sure that we keep an eye out for any agents um, uh, will prevent any strikes on the docks during the war. Mm-hmm. And here's what I'm going to throw in. 
Uh, I've heard that, you know, you, you, you're thinking about invading Sicily. Um, I'll get my contacts with the Sicilian mafia to help for the Allied invasion of Sicily. That's amazing. So, so after the war in 1946, they let him out of jail. He served about 10 years of a 50-year sentence and they deported him to Italy. Now, here's the thing, <laughs> Luciano, one of the reasons they approached him in the first place was that a ship blew up in New York Harbour uh, and they blamed it on foreign agents, spies. Mm-hmm. Luciano right. later said, no, nah, that, that, that was my guys. We blew up the <laughs> ship, <laughs> spread the rumours that it was German and Italian agents nice. and then said, oh, we can help you, we can help you with that. Oh, God. And he, if you, if you get it, so they let him out of jail. They deported him to Italy. He spent six months in Italy, then sails to Havana in Cuba. Mm-hmm where he holds the famous Havana Conference, which is where the, the, all the five families met right. and they basically coordinated all the mob's business in America. So fans of The Godfather, you know, uh, after Santino gets killed and you have the big sit-down, basically that um, uh, in Havana. And there's also one in Godfather Part Two, uh, which is actually, I think, in Havana because uh, Batista is there and there's gold telephone from AT&T and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you remember that scene from The Godfather Part 2? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, pass, they're passing around a gold telephone and Michael, everyone else is picking it up and admiring it. Michael just passes it on to the next guy. He doesn't even give a fuck. He's just there for <laughs> right. business, man. Um, so, yeah, he uh, Luciano went, held the famous Havana Conference. The heads of all the major crime families gathered there for a week to discuss business and party with Frank Sinatra, who flew into Havana with a couple of guys from Al Capone's family from Chicago that he was mates with. Oh, my God. Um, so, uh, yeah, I thought that was a fascinating story, man. Lucky Luciano and his deal with the U.S. government. That's amazing. Um, so, Can you I, know. Yeah. Can I go back to the communists of, for a se- second? Yeah, go back to the communists, yeah. Okay, so I just wanted to mention this. So, so we all know that, um, uh, like you were mentioning earlier, even though um, Anseliger's got all these victories, he's got these legal victories, legislative victories, there's still drugs going around, and he's pointing at um, the city of Baltimore, because Baltimore is willing to pass whatever laws he comes up with, and yet there are drugs all over the place. So the point is, yeah, it's got to be the communist. And so for now, for his latest victims, so not only are addicts, criminals and thugs who are not worthy of any kind of mercy. Now everybody who either buys pot or uses pot or sells pot is a potential communist agent and traitor. Now his agents know this is complete bullshit. And they said, and they even told him, look, we've got nothing to back this up. We've got no evidence. We've got no stories. You made this big statement you, and you're talking to the uh, Congress about it. We can't back that up. And But one of his agents says, there was no evidence for Anslinger's accusations, but that never stopped him. And again, this guy is just on a train of just lies and more lies. But the point is, again, and it works. He's tapping into fears of white America. They support him. His budget is increased because now they need him to hire more people to deal with the communist drug threat that's now pervading America, which it's not. But the point is, that's what he tells them. They react. This guy is all about job security and power.
Nina Simone's uh, classic cover of Randy Newman's Baltimore. Ah. I, of course, I think of yeah. Baltimore. I think of The Wire. Yeah. I should yeah. I should fly to Australia and we just sit down and we do a massive marathon and we watch all those, all those seasons again. We get high as a motherfucking kite and we just watch The Wire until we finish it all up. You need to bring the drugs with you. I can, uh, I can do that. I've got places to hide them. Anyway, you don't want to hear about that. I'll bring them. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, Harry, Harry's just going to blame everyone that white America's afraid of. Uh, <laughs> blacks, Mexicans, poor people, Chinese, communists. Yeah. <laughs> blame it on, Canadians, on them. Fucking Canadians. To build his little empire of narcotics agents. So then Harry takes his fight global. He uh, went to the UN and stood up and told all of the countries that they had to help him fight communism Mm -hmm. by doubling down on their fight against drugs or else. Oh, shit. Or else. Now, keeping in mind this is after World War II, Mm -hmm. America is the world's sole economic superpower. And America really learned to throw its weight around uh, massively during this period. They figured out they could, as we've talked about on the Cold War show in a great amount of detail, after World War II, America figured that was their time to get everything they could get because no one could tell them no, no one could afford to stand up to America at the end of World War II. And this is what Harry wants. Um, He wants to... Fight communism by fighting drugs. Now, there were some countries that initially tried to stand up to him. Thailand, uh, as one example, said, no. Fuck you. We're not, fuck you. We're not going to ban opium smoking. It's a longstanding tradition in our country. Uh, Sure, it has problems, but it has benefits. Um, And if they were to ban it, just think of all the chaos that would ensue. Oh, chaos. Now... (laughs) So Harry decided uh, he, he, he had to figure out how to twist their arms. Now, one of his key guys, uh, Charles Siragusa, 
uh, later said, I found that a casual mention of the possibility of shutting off our foreign aid programs dropped in the proper quarters <laughs> brought grudging permission for our operations almost immediately. Fuck. So the, the way the US got these uh, recalcitrant countries on board, and not all of the countries were recalcitrant, as right. we'll see, but the ones that did try and stand up to the US got threatened with cutting off foreign aid or uh, economic sanctions. Uh, well, maybe we'll just put uh, import duties on any products you're trying to sell into our country. Um, and it was amazing how fast they would bend over um, yeah. goatsy their ass cheeks <laughs> and do whatever the US wanted. Eventually, every country uh, bowed to US pressure, uh, particularly in that period, because there weren't a lot of options. I mean, yeah. you could deal, deal with the Soviets, but Soviets didn't have a lot to throw around. So, uh, yeah, the U.S. was where it was at for most of these countries outside of Europe anyway. Yeah, because like we were talking, war is just an extension of economics for the United States, which is the only, almost in some ways, uh, the uh, one of the few undamaged countries after the war, to go, not only will we not give you aid, not only will we put embargoes on you, but we won't even let you sell your stuff. Now, I seriously doubt if Harry Anslinger and his agents had the official authority to make these threats and to and to make good on them. But the point is, these other representatives probably don't know that. They probably think that this guy can just walk up to Truman or whoever, talk to him, and he'll go along with them. They don't know what's real and what's not. And so it's just a matter of whispering into their ears. The threat is made. These people back down. And now Harry has got the entire world waging their own war on drugs, even though in some ways they don't want to or it's against their interest or it's not the problem that he thinks it is for them. And as we've seen in our Cold War show, uh, at this juncture after World War II, Roosevelt, sorry, Roosevelt is dead. <laughs> and uh, Truman has to go hard on communism because there's a... There's this general vibe that Roosevelt was too soft on Stalin and um, the the Republicans uh, are getting all sorts of uh, – going sort of hardline against the communists. Truman can't afford to look uh, soft on communism. This starts to become a thing in American politics and never went away really. And so uh, if, if Harry says that the way to beat communism is to cut – down ah, the drug traffic, right? Then Truman, Eisenhower, whoever's the fucking president, mm. needs to go. All right, well, they can't stand up and go. No, nah, I think that's. Uh, I don't think that's. I think that's bullshit, Harry. He's going to go. You're soft on communism. Ooh. And they go. Oh shit! Sorry. What? What? Sorry. What? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Do whatever he says. Yeah. Right? First, first of all, it's pronounced Trowman, not Truman. <laughs> now. <laughs> Now, I said some countries got on board quickly, and it's probably because those countries, like Australia is one example, had the same sorts of um, concerns that Harry had in the US. Every country has its own minorities. Um, it has its own poor, has its own uh, activists, political activists. And 
counterculture uh, as we get into the you know the fifties and the sixties, and uh, they want to shut that down. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, sort of the, the the controlling elite in all of the Western countries want to shut down political activism, spiritual activism. Uh, experimentation with drugs that might lead people to to think outside of the mainstream. That's not in the best interests of the elite. You know, keep it. I mean, keep keep in mind. Uh, well, this is my my prevailing model anyway. Disagree or agree? I don't know. But um, prevailing model is that the 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 elite in any country, the wealthy, the powerful. Who, who are the leaders of governments, corporations, religions, and other large organizations. They don't want change. Their, their basic operating model is maintain the status quo as much as possible because the status quo is working out pretty good for them. Right. If you're rich and or powerful... You don't want things to change. Yeah. You don't, particularly dramatically. Yeah, you might fuck around with shit on the edges, mm-hmm. uh, so it looks like you're doing something. <clears throat> but you don't. You don't want to fuck with the program, right? The program's working. Yeah, you got kids. It's like to take it's care like of. us. Yeah. Okay. People say you shouldn't swear. You shouldn't swear so much on your podcast. We got an email the other day from some guy saying, "Listen, love the show, but you, you know, Cam's got to stop saying fuck so much." <laughs> And my response to you was? <laughs> um, cunt. <laughs> what a cunt. <laughs> um, now. Which did not include the know, word fuck in Cam's defense. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. We could change, but like we're making so much fucking money and we have so much power <laughs> doing what we're doing. <laughs> Let me tell you how much Why power we have. I'm just real quick. I'm sorry, Ken. I mean, this by the time we finish with this, governments all over the world are going. Their eyes are going to be open up, and they'll go, "What? Harry Anslinger was a lying asshole. Drugs are going to be made legal every fucking where by the time we're done. That's power." Yeah. Go you, ahead, Ken. Sorry. Just, yeah. So, people that are successful under under a certain paradigm don't want it to change dramatically and so they're going to do everything within their power to prevent dramatic change dramatic social change dramatic economic change they're going to try and shut it down they're going to use all of the tools at their disposal to prevent that change now what are the tools at their disposal well if if, if you're in government uh it's it's laws you can pass bits of legislation or prevent bits of legislation from getting passed mm-hmm. Uh, if you're in, in a corporation, you have money that you can spend on advertising to influence the media. You have money to spend on political campaigns Lobbies. to influence Lobbies. which politicians get elected. Yeah. What was that? Lobbyists. Lobbyists, that's right, um, to influence how people think. Uh, propaganda, you spend money on propaganda and all that kind of stuff. If you're a religion... The head of a religion, obviously, you use your influence over the, the, the weak-minded members of society to get them to vote, uh, to support the sort of interests that, that will enable you to maintain. Like, if, if, you're, the, if you're the head of a, a church that has been 
preaching gays are bad, gay marriage is bad for centuries, mm-hmm. centuries and centuries. And you've done okay. You're at the top of the food chain in the church business. Yeah. If you're a, 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 like a mega church, you're making a lot of money. If you're uh, in a, one of the more mainstream, older churches, you know, even if you're a, if you're a cardinal or a bishop, you're doing okay. Like you got a house, you got a driver, you got a car, you got the expenses are taken care of. It's a fairly fairly cushy life. You don't have to work for a living. You just get up and go, you know, la la la. Jesus said this, and like they go, do. fucking, that was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you just rehash <laughs> shit that same shit people have been saying for two thousand years. And people go, oh, that was fucking great. Give the man a house. Um, it's a it's a cushy gig. Yeah. So. If, if you all of a sudden turn around and go, you know what, maybe we were wrong for 2,000 years. Maybe the gays are all right. The people are going to go, what? what? I can't listen what? to you anymore. They, they might not come to the church, which means, you know, you lose your job. You lose your money, you lose your power, lose your wealth, your ability to rape children goes away. Oh. You know, you don't, you don't want that. That's no. terrible. So um, so there, there is an incentive to, to maintain the status quo so you stay on top. Occasionally, you get people that 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 um, uh, have enough integrity or enough ethics, enough morals, uh, as members of the elite, that go, no, fuck that shit. You know, they they want to change it. Um, the current Pope, Pope Francis, I think, probably one of those guys. Pope Francis He's is like, bloke. no, fuck, you know, yeah, yeah, fuck, no, fuck all this bullshit. Um, we're going to clean this joint up. Um, but. And you, you get politicians like that. You, you know, we, we've talked about how FDR was part of the landed gentry, but he tried to make life better for the poor yeah. to a degree um, through the Japs in internment camps. But, you know. What are you going to do? <laughs> so, you can't have it all. And, and, and passed drug laws that, that oppressed blacks and Mexicans. But, you know, generally speaking, did some good things. So you do get you you do get from time to time uh, uh, outliers from the elite who do the right thing, but generally speaking, ninety nine point nine 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 percent. We should not expect that because that behaviour would be against their own rational self interest. Is my operating model? They they aren't going to do things that are going to put their own wealth and power at risk because that that wouldn't make any sense. Why would you do that? Right. So. These people are in all countries, is my point. And and when Harry says, "Oh, you know what? The source of all your problems is drugs. <clears throat> Shut down the make drugs illegal, and then you can arrest the political activists. You can arrest the poor people. Yeah. Um. And 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 stop them from voting against your interests, and stop them from you know uh, 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 educating people about how you're doing this, that, the other wrong. So. They had the same sort of interests that the the white Americans had, the white powerful elite in all these other countries. So they didn't have to be coerced like Thailand and some other countries did. Is my right. point of that that ramp? Now, I just wanted to add. No, I just want to add to it. So, so to to get back to the point that you were just making about the elites of various countries in the same in the same subject that we're talking about, Harry and the other countries. He says the world belongs to the strong. It always has, and it always will. Which is a pretty cunt move, a pretty cunt statement, um, because we talked about Caesar. When Caesar was in power, he tried to he tried to change things. He tried to make Rome a little less corrupt. He tried to take care of the people. Augustus is going to continue that by turning Rome into a marble of cities. So the point is, 
for Harry, it seems to he seems to be an absolutist. You're either with me or you're against me. The strong control everything. The weak have no rights, and that's just the way it is. I think it's that mentality that is is that's been with him for for these years for the for, since 1930, and which is why he's so driven and so hard. And at the same time, even though he's lying, so successful. You know who needed to smoke weed more than anyone else on the planet? <laughs> Harry Anslinger. Yeah. Somebody just needed to sit him down at some point. <laughs> or and go, Harry, brownie. here's a brownie. Sit down. Yeah, just yeah. just eat this. Yeah. Or sneak a tab of LSD let you, into his. Let uh, your troubles just scotch. melt away and play some uh, play some sixties rock. Just let it all go. Well, around about this time, the pressure must have been getting to Harry. Like he spent twenty five years trying to stop drugs in america and there's fucking more drugs than ever <laughs> nothing fuck? is going to plan he has a ner- he has a nervous breakdown and had to be put in hospital he'd been getting increasingly crazy erratic paranoid it was noticed by people who were working with him eventually he gets put in hospital um has a after this breakdown he comes back and he's just worse. His paranoia has grown. He sees enemies and plots and secret attempts to destroy him or control the entire world around every corner. I couldn't find any evidence that they ever met. But if they did, I'm sure he and J. Edgar Hoover got along like a fucking house on fire. <laughs> right. yeah, I Both mean, of these guys yeah. ran their departments for decades. They were paranoid, crazy, lying, corrupt motherfuckers. Right. Well, I wanted to ask you a, a quick follow-up to that, and, and first of all, to for everybody else, before Harry has his um, his his breakdown, we were saying a couple of episodes ago that he wrote a lot of stuff down, and you could tell by his writings that he's thinking it's his his thoughts are getting crazy. Um, that addicts were contagious; they could affect anyone. They all addicts had to be quarantined. Um, so, so this guy is losing it. But let let me ask you, uh, in your opinion, you've got someone like Harry. For whatever reason, and we don't have to know why, this guy is absolutely obsessed. He is driven. He has been lying for years. And at some point, you just get the sense that it, when he first started, he probably knew he was telling lies and it didn't fucking matter because I'm, I'm making a point and I've got to win because it's, it's for the greater good. At some point, you, you, you just get the sense, if, you, if you've read any of his writings, that he doesn't know that he's lying anymore, and he maybe doesn't know what's true and what's not true, but you get the sense that this guy was just going off the rails gradually over the years and just living in this world that he created. I, I just wanted to get your sense of someone who has gotten so used to lying not only to the public and not only to, to the to the president and everybody, but the, the people he has to work with, but also probably lying to himself. I'm guessing at some point he probably believes the lies. And when you start believing that there's good and evil and people are out to get you and you're the only one that can save everybody, you've got the Messiah complex. How do you not at some point have a mental breakdown? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if he even knew he was lying. Um, I, I think, I mean, my my guess is that the breakdown had more to just do with the fact that he was failing. Mm-hmm. That his whole campaign, mm. he'd been he'd been sort of laying down the law for decades at this stage. Here's what we need to do to fix the drug problem, and right. the drug problem has just been getting worse and worse ah. and worse. And uh, I don't know. I think he just couldn't handle it. 
he uh, he kind of went 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 crazy, um, and so. In the early 1960s, he gets squeezed out of his job by John F. Kennedy, I think is how you would pronounce it, Ray. Um, Kennedy. Kennedy. The Kennedy family. Very powerful family. Kennedy. Kennedy. (laughs) The Kennedys. Get him, Amanda. Anyway. Uh... (laughs) Now, uh, Kennedy also tried to get rid of Hoover, yeah, but failed. Obviously, Harry didn't have as much dirt on JFK's drug and pussy habits <laughs> as J. Edgar had, so uh, he was less invulnerable. So, if if I could, to wrap up, if I could just add to that real quick. Well, so, well, so while Anslinger is still still in power, um, near the end of his time, he gets scrutinized for insubordination by refusing to desist from the attempt to hold the American um, Bar Association and the American Medical Association joint report on narcotic addiction. It's a publication that gets edited by the sociology professor Alfred R. Linsmith of Indiana University. And Linsmith becomes a professional, or becomes an expert when it comes to all this. If he writes other works, The Opiate Addiction, the, the Addict and the Law, and other numerous articles about the criminalization of drugs and stuff like that. So, uh, so nearly everything Linsmith does, everything that he writes down is critical of Anslinger's war on drugs, certainly um, Anslinger himself. And so some people think that the that the American Medical Association and American Bar Association controversy that this all kicked up because Harry was trying to shut it all down. He didn't want anybody having any kind of other's opinions that, that it drew attention to himself by his superiors. And it may have been, or at least a part of, the beginning of the end of his uh, his uh, his his career, and also the fact that he doesn't think that he can be touched by anybody. Mm, except J. Edgar <laughs> Hoover in a dress, right? And the Kennedys, the president, anyway. Kennedys, the Kennedys, mm, President the, Kennedy, the Kennedy. Um. So why did America and and the rest of the world? fall so easily for Harry's bullshit. Mm. I've explained uh, a little bit of it. I think, you know, this this desire on behalf of the elite to maintain order and control and the status quo. But it's not just the elite. Like, people in general jump on board these things. It's a bit like, why did so many Germans jump on board with uh, the Nazis uh, during the the 30s and the 40s in the, in Germany, I think um, uh, people like easy answers to complex problems. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever read Daniel Kahneman's uh, Thinking Fast and Slow book? No. I um I was rereading it uh, recently uh, for another project. Um, Kahneman's a Nobel Prize winner for his work on behavioral economics, and um, he basically talks about how there are two kinds of thinking that the brain does: what he calls System One and System Two. Mm-hmm. System One is where the majority of thinking takes place in the brain, and it's subconscious, what we might think of as gut reactions. Right. Um, system two is conscious 
hard work thinking where you try like doing mathematics. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, uh, the example I read uh, yesterday in his book, a good example, system one is stuff like being able to tell that one object is further away than another object. You, you don't have to stop and think about it. You just, you just know. Um, versus trying to park a car in a tight parking space requires a fair amount of active thinking, right? Now, part of what he says in his book is that evolution has designed us to use our system one thinking as much as possible Mm. because it's faster and it takes less energy, like mental, literal energy, right? uh, caloric energy in the brain. System two thinking is slow, it's hard, takes a lot of calories, a lot of thinking, Mm And uh, for most of human um, history, calories were hard to come by. So if you had heuristics, uh, operational heuristics, shorthands for, for making decisions about things, it, it, it made it easier to get through the day. And um, so I think religion ties a lot into this um, uh, uh, like one of the other examples he uses in the book is uh, if you're walking through the jungle and you hear a twig snap behind you um, and you spin around automatically, hold your spear in that direction in case it's a tiger trying to eat you. It may not be a tiger 99 times out of 100, but the one time it is a tiger, it's probably a good thing. You want to be ready. So if you had, if you stopped each time you heard a twig snap, and thought about all of the possible things that it could possibly be making that noise, that one in a hundred times when it is a tiger probably means you're going to be too slow, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. So there is, there's an evolutionary benefit to jumping to conclusions mm. and, 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 and using a gut feeling on things. And I think this is uh, one of the reasons why people like to accept easy answers to complex Problems. Gotcha. They, uh, it, it's just, it's just a. They don't have the time or the energy, uh, or incentive, quite often, to think deeply about things, and it's, it's tempting, I guess, in a way, also to feel superior to the people around you. Um, if you can look down, oh, well, they're they're weak, they're because they're a drug addict or a booze addict or whatever, um, and so. You know, I think the, the the public likes to be told that their the problems in society have got to do with um, bad people. Uh, all all people of this skin color are bad. All people from this country are bad. All people that use a drug are bad. All people that drink alcohol are bad in prohibition. Mm-hmm. Um, all people that don't believe in Jesus are bad. Uh, it, it's just, it's an easy mindset for people to get into, particularly when all of your friends and family have the same mindset. Uh, it, it, it's yeah. a, a successful model for you to have as well. Cause if you don't, you end up like me spending your life going, well, <laughs> actually, I'm not sure that that actually holds up to investigation. Right. Um, in which case, people go, fuck, you're an arrogant cunt and don't want anything to do with right. you. And you're like, well... You're on you the know, edge of the tribe good. now. Yeah. Got, got, rid of, got rid of them. Yeah, you end up as a podcaster. Um, 
<laughs> so, you know, the problems usually have deep, complex reasons. Um, uh, going back uh, deep into history, issues of uh, one race against another or uh, systemic inequality or, or, or geopolitical divides. Um, but these things take too much thought, um, too much work to try and get your head around them. Um, so it's just easier just to have, you know, to blame it on, on something that sounds simpler. And this has been used, f- f- you know, throughout history from the Crusades Successfully. to yeah. witch hunts and to, you know, well, it was her time and she didn't win, so it must be the Russians. You know, uh, simplistic uh, explanations for uh, much more complex uh, scenarios, potentially, anyway. Yeah, I was going to, when we when I got to this part about, you know, the books, one of the books that we're using stops and says, why was Harry so successful? Out of everything you just said, I, w- I was going to tag on to the second part of what you said. I don't care who you are if and, and whatever level of socioeconomic level that you're at. If you can point at somebody and say that you're better than that person, maybe you're not so bad. Maybe you feel a little bit better about yourself. And so, yeah, so you could be the poorest white person there is in this country, but you've got, you know, the Latinos, you've got the blacks, you've got the Chinese, you've got the Canadians or whatever. But the point is, as long as you've got someone that you can point at and feel superior to, that's, that's going to make you feel better. And that's in itself a drug. It's only going to make you feel better. And Harry tapped into that and so much more. Um, I don't know how far you want to get into Harry if you want to finish him off, but I was surprised about what had become of his his department over the years when he stepped uh, at at the point where he stepped down, that he seemed to be missing a lot of what was going on in the day-to-day operations. But that's probably because um, he he was losing it mentally and physically by the time he retires. Yeah, so after he gets squeezed out by JFK, they uh, sort of have an investigation of the FBN, Narcotics Bureau, by the IRS, and they found that it was rife with corruption. According to one historian, the FBN itself was the major source of supply and protector of heroin in the United States. Oh, my God. It became the very thing it was fighting. And we've talked about this in earlier episodes. I think it was Harry's guy in California yeah. that was actually working for uh, Chinese, Chinese drug lords there. Um, Harry had been blaming doctors and jazz singers and commies and, and addicts, but it was really the guys around him that were uh, a big part of the problem. But um, as we've seen before, there's no evidence that Harry was part of that corruption. Right. But he was just blind to the corruption, it seems, astoundingly. Yeah. But didn't matter because he won. By the time he left the office in the early 60s, he was the only man ever to run a U.S. security agency longer than J. Edgar Hoover. Um and nobody thought about shutting down <laughs> the uh, war on drugs. Oh my god! Yeah, it was what the fuck? It was an it was an essential part of the government machine, and the propaganda was so deep that uh, it took 
decades to start to undo it. And we're only at the beginnings of undoing it still. Yeah. But it's taken it's taken uh, nearly a century to undo the damage that Harry and his co-conspirators in government and the media in the United States uh, did. Yeah, I, wa- I wanted to tell you that um, the other this last weekend, it was Mother's Day, and I took my mom out uh, for lunch. She's a former cop. She was a cop for 13 years. And I was telling her about Harry Anslinger and about, and not to rehash everything, but basically we all think, well, the, the, we all think about what about drugs the way we do because of this guy, people like him, people that helped him, and his personal crusade. He he hoodwinked everybody into that marijuana is bad. So I was telling my mom about this. She's retired now, and I was like, so we need to go back. I, I'm not certainly one who's ready to go out and smoke a joint, you know, uh, whatever. I, I, that's just not who I am. But the point is, we need to go back and rethink this entire thing. And she kind of looked at me and she went, yeah, yeah, but we have to be careful because it's dangerous, right? And, and she proved my point that this is so entrenched in what we know as the truth that it's going to take probably many, many years to unpeel all the damage this guy has done for either his own personal gain so he could keep his job or for a crusade that for whatever reason got into his head and he thought he was the only one who could fix it. Who was the former cop? My mom. She was a former cop. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Where? First uh, in Charleston, South Carolina. You know where the um, the roof kid shot the people in the church in North Charleston? That's where she used to patrol. And then she was a cop at the University of Virginia uh, police uh, for eight or six years until she retired. Wow. Yeah. Look at you, military and police no, that's right. background. That's why I'm a good boy. I'm, I don't. I don't. Until I met you, I was a good boy because of the upbringing that I had with people like that in my life. Oh wow! Look what I have that's done right. to the good boy. That's right. Who's a good boy? Who's a good boy? You're a good boy. Don't I get turned on? Yeah, you do. I love it. <laughs> anyway, but just I know we're going to talk about this later. But God, this guy fucked this country. And, and the rest of the world in, in such a way that he should be dug up and, and we should just piss on his body. Yeah. Now, I mean, you're right. Like, you think about all the people yeah. who've, whose lives have been destroyed absolutely, as a role of, of, of Harry Anslinger and his uh, confederates. Mm-hmm. Uh, people have gone to prison. Corruption. People as yeah. fathers and, and, and husbands and sons have gone to prison. Drug wars, drug gangs, drug killings. wars. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll expl- we'll sort of explore how that all started um, in upcoming episodes. Uh, but before we finish with Harry, um, years later, after his retirement in February 1970, he was in Playboy magazine. <laughs> they had a. It was he on the cover. He did this. He was, yeah, he was in the centerfold. Yeah, I mean, he was in his seventies, uh, but man, he tight, he, <clears throat> he tight, yeah, tight, yeah. <laughs> Kept, kept there goes that erection. Kept, kept it together. <laughs> uh, no, they did a roundtable debate of the drug laws and invited him to be part of it. Now, I don't know if you have that copy of Playboy from February <laughs> 1970, Ray, no. the one with Linda Forsyth on the cover, but I do, of course. It's a classic part of my collection. Nice. Um, 
And this was really the first time since he was going up against Henry Smith-Williams in the 1930s that Anslinger was forced to defend his arguments and his claims against people who actually knew what they were talking about. Mm -hmm. And it didn't go well for (laughs) Harry. Uh I, I read I read the full article um, oh, wow. uh, last night. So there were the the famous psychiatrist Dr. Joel Fort was on the panel. Mm. He only died in 2015. Wow. Um, he was a famous American psychiatrist, early advocate for decriminalizing marijuana. He gave expert testimony on drugs and brainwashing in the Patty Hearst case. Mm-hmm. Um, Spent years treating addicts and alcoholics, um, and was you know quite quite well known. Um, there was a lawyer, Joseph Oteri, who's defended drug dealers, uh, and the poet laureate of narcotics, William Burroughs, of the Naked Lunch fame. Mm-hmm. There was also James Coburn, the actor, Barbara Ramdas, <coughs> aka Richard Albert. He was one of the early. Um, uh, 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 advocates for LSD with Timothy Leary. He and Timothy Leary were buddies. They were the guys that started experimenting with LSD and promoting it. Then Albert went to India, came back as a guru, Baba Ram Das, And Alan Watts, the famous um, Zen Buddhism uh, guru of enlightenment who is hugely popular on the internet. I see stuff about him pop up all the time on Facebook, which always amazes me. Like, I've been reading Alan Watts since I was 17 and thought it was sort of a a niche thing that no one else really had much appreciation of. And and his shit pops up on Facebook all the time now. Right. People who I'm sure have never read an Alan Watts book, um, you know, get these little clips of him and post them. Anyway, it was them and some others, and, and they had this debate, which is quite long. I think it's like 15 pages long, printed, in uh, Playboy. Mm. Um, now, Harry went on the attack. Yeah. Uh, he, he didn't back down despite the fact that he didn't even have the job anymore. Obviously, this was his life's work. Right. One point, he said, a person under the influence of marijuana can get so violent that it takes about five police policemen to hold them down. <laughs> and there is proof that can... Continued use of hashish results in commitment to mental hospitals. It only takes five police to hold them down if they're trying to get to a bag of chips. So that's not technically true. (laughs) Now, everyone's been buying this bullshit from Harry for 40 years, but these guys aren't going to do that. Now, one of them pushes back and asks for evidence, and he quotes the Indian psychiatrist, Dr. Isaac Chopra, Mm -hmm. um, uh, who he says stated flatly and unequivocally, fuck, flatly and unequivocally that cannabis drugs lead to psychosis. Now, Joseph Terry, the lawyer, said, I got Dr. Chopra on the stand in Boston under cross-examination, Uh-oh. and he admitted his studies did not involve a valid scientific sample and didn't really connect marijuana and insanity in any cause and effect fashion. You keep using that science word. I don't think that so, has anything to do with Yeah, go ahead. He just shut that shit down. Um, then Joel Fort, the psychiatrist, he had some great lines. Um, I, I copied a few of them out. He said, Marijuana has brought relief to millions. Its chief beneficial effect, however, 
has been to significantly reduce unemployment for tens of thousands of drug policemen. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. Slap. Oh, no, you didn't. Is, uh, is, what a great line. Um, so they're, they're throwing studies and facts and figures about how prohibition doesn't work and the benefits of drugs. Anslinger just keeps coming back with ridiculous stories. I can tell you about a case in a fraternity house where they were having a weekend party. On a dare, one of the girls took a sugar cube in which there was a drop of LSD. She was out for two days, and during that time, she was raped by a number of the fraternity boys. Do you think he was so just my going first... for shock? Just trying to shock them with crude? Yeah. 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 My first thing was like, well, arrest the fraternity boys. Did you arrest the fraternity boys? <laughs> or did you blame her? Yeah, she took the LSD, she got raped, it's the LSD's problem. Right. Not like your fucking fraternity boys should all be in jail. Sounds like the city of God. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Crossover, don't cross the streams, so, right? Sorry. Um, but these people in, in around the rest of the table weren't taking his bullshit. Um, at one point, he throws out a challenge to them. I challenge you to name one doctor. <laughs> who has reported a beneficial effect of marijuana outside of the backward areas of the world. Joel Ford immediately says, Dr. <laughs> Lloyd J. Thompson, professor of psychiatry at Bowman Gray School of Medicine, and George T. Stocking, one of Britain's leading psychiatrists. But here's the kicker. He says, and the only reason there aren't more in this country is because of you. Oh, God. dang. Right between the testicles. And now, said nothing. Yeah, <laughs> they, they shut him down. He, he had no response to these things. He, he's pulling out all of his favorites. Well, he's never you know, had of, to. I mean, the senators yeah. would go, thank you, sir, for your testimony. Just making shit up. Just he's in a suit. He's sitting there acting calm and professional. And now he, he can't he can't really come up with anything to refute what these guys are saying. And they're facts. Um. At this stage, he's also suggesting marijuana is a gateway drug, contradicting his own <laughs> congressional testimony right. of 1937. He said, no, absolutely not. It's not a gateway drug. No, there's no evidence of it. Now he's going, oh, yeah, yeah, it's a gateway yeah. drug. The lawyer, O'Terry, uh, countered that by saying alcohol and tobacco and mother's milk are the gateway drugs. <laughs> it does make me want to be closer to breasts, so I think he's on to something. And I and I saw. I remember uh, uh, that was a year or two ago. There was um, some congressional hearing about uh, legalization of marijuana in the United States, and the the current drug czar at the time, whoever he was, can't remember, was testifying, and he was going on and on and on about it being a gateway drug. And one of the congressmen or senators that was uh, on the panel said to him, "Don't people start with drinking breast milk? Isn't is doesn't it go from breast milk to like?" cordial to soda pop to coffee to alcohol and tobacco uh, aren't they the gateway drugs really and, and the drugs are just went yeah no you're probably right <laughs> so just shut him down too um <clears throat> harry suggested that marijuana users were social dropouts alan watts replied that there are people who drink alcohol and end up as bums sleeping under bridges, but there are also heavy drinkers who end up running corporations and governments. Yeah, here, here. 
And he said that personally, he was a dropout before he started taking LSD. He said <laughs> LSD opened his mind and made him become a lot more political, politically active than he was oh, before. Gotcha. So Harry's just getting kicked and punched uh, left, right and centre. And this here's, here's a great line uh, from the psychiatrist Fort. He says, the real cause of the problems in society is the alienating character of our society itself. Repressive family life, meaningless schools, pointless jobs, bigotry, wars, and intolerance everywhere. That's what people are reacting against when they drop out. He nailed it. And then Harry snapped. He started calling everybody around him at the table, utterly monstrous, talking vicious tripe. They must have a disordered mind. He compared them to Hitler. Yeah. And said, we've been hearing some of the most ridiculous statements that have ever been made. History is strewn with the bones of nations that have tolerated moral laxity and hedonism. But you know you won when the other guy calls you Hitler, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dr. Fort replied that Anslinger had only given the country myth and misinformation. Ooh. You have led this country to treat scientific questions the way such matters were handled in the Middle Ages. <sighs> they bitch slapped him, didn't they? They ran a train on him and they bitch slapped him. Totally bitch slapped him, and um, that was the last uh, we ever heard of Harry Jacob Anslinger. He died in 1975, Um, but uh, what a huge influence he had on the world in an entirely negative way. As I said before, if there was one guy who should have got high very early on, it's Harry Anslinger. Yeah, early and often. Uh, well, we've got to wrap this one up. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about the criminal gangs and their role in the drug wars. Um, before we go, I want to read another review. Mm-hmm. This one is from Australia. Benakiba sure. writes, This is the greatest show. Imagine yourself having a chat over a coffee with a good friend who you admire for their wits, humour, General view on humanity and large penis. Oh, no, I just... <laughs> so he didn't write that. I just, just inserted that. But, <laughs> oh, boom, boom. <laughs> no, it's just normally what I get, you know, when people are complimenting me, they normally just tack that on there. I'm just not used to it not being there. Obviously, Ben Akiba's not fully aware of it. It hasn't seen my dick tickling oh poster. My God. Nice puppies. You hey. could... You, You could easily sit there and listen all day without saying a word and still feel you participated in the conversation and came out of it richer and looking for more. This is what you will experience listening to Cam and Ray. These guys are totally politically incorrect, contagiously funny, yet deadly serious in their relentless search for facts about the world we all live in. So get yourself a cuppa and plug in. But be warned, you'll keep coming back for more. Great fucking review, Ben Akiba. Thank you. Send us uh, an email. Uh, with your address, and I will send you personally send you a, uh, a token mug. of our appreciation. All right, that's it. We'll be back next week. 
with uh, more on the war on drugs. And my wife said she's going to start listening to this series, so oh, uh, clean it up. I got to go edit this. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off.